So the Jerusalem Council basically said that they did, the Gentiles did not have to keep the law of Moses and the circumcision and all that in order to be, uh, in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian. And so they, uh, Paul was, uh, uh, Paul, Paul and Barnabas and some others had went to Jerusalem to decide the message, and they met together. and We went we went through all that last week, so I'm not going to go all the way back through that. So they decided to send a letter with Paul and Barnabas and some other guys, Silas and the guy named Judas, and they sent the letter back to um, back to. Uh, uh, Antioch with uh, Paul and Silas, and the letter, letter basically said, you know, that the Gentiles can become part of the church, part of the covenant with Abraham, part of the kingdom of God, without becoming Jews. Now that was the question: you have to first become a Jew first, and then you can be part of the kingdom of God. Uh, they decided uh, together as a as a body that that was not in accord with Scripture. It was not in accord with the gospel. It's not in accord with God's will and so we saw that last time so they're about to send the letter I think we stopped at verse 22 or so last week and the, the rest of all the way down to 21 uh, or all the way down to uh, at least probably 35 is them it's the reading of this letter that they had it says verse 22 says uh, then it pleased, then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They decided we're going to send some of our own guys with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch, uh, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas. Silas is going to be a real important character in uh, in the book of Acts from from here on out. We're going to send Silas, chief among the brethren, and they wrote letters by them after this manner. This is what the letter said. The apostles and elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. This is the letter. This is, they're actually reading the letter. This is what they wrote. Uh, notice that he calls them brethren. They're Gentiles, but they're also brethren in the kingdom of God. It says, for as much as we have heard that certain it should be certain men which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. This is the letter they're writing. They're saying, we've heard that some guys have come into your fellowship whom we didn't send. But they, they're coming into your fellowship. They're subverting your soul. Uh, the word subvert there is uh, it's a word that means like to distress or to cause havoc or to... Um you know, to uh, to trouble, to trouble your soul. Why would it trouble their souls if somebody came in teaching that you must keep the law of Moses and be circumcised in order to be saved? You're a Gentile believer in Antioch. You're not Jewish. You're Greek. Paul and Barnabas have come and they've told you all about the gospel, told you all about Jesus, said you can be saved if you would trust in him and you have trusted in him. And then here come these guys saying, well, that's kind of true, but you also need to be circumcised. You also need to keep the law of Moses. Uh, why would that trouble their soul? Why would that distress their soul? Because it goes against what they were told to begin with. Well, it goes against what they were told with. But why would why would it trouble their soul? I mean, they 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 would say, surely they would, huh? Doing away with what Jesus did at the cross, and he clearly said. Yeah, it's definitely doing that. 
It's definitely doing that. You think they would have been a little afraid? Sure. Why would they have been afraid? I know if some dude walked up to me and says, hey, here's a knife, you're going to have to... I might do what? <laughs> they didn't want... I mean, I can imagine... This is just me thinking out loud. I wish y'all would think out loud a little. Um, I can imagine them thinking... I mean, I thought I was all... Have you ever... How many of uh, have Has anybody ever come along after you were believed and just so shaked your faith, your foundation, that you started questioning everything? Mm-hmm. That's a stinky feeling, ain't yes. it? That's a troubling feeling. It's a distressing feeling. That's what they were feeling. I mean, they were, they were, they were thinking, you know, Paul and Barnabas teaching the gospel. They were teaching all about salvation, the kingdom of God, and all this. And then here come these guys saying, no, 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 you're not part of the kingdom. No, you got to be circumcised. You got to keep the law of Moses. You got to, you got to do all this. I mean, it would have been downright. It would have been more than troubling to my soul. Uh, they would have been. They would have been adding. They would have been adding uncertainty to the gospel for the rest of your life. Because if if keeping the law and we're talking we're not talking we talk about the law of Moses for some of y'all that weren't here last week. We're not talking about thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt not we're talking about all the sacrifices and the festivals and the food laws and the all the all the Jewish stuff that come with the the covenant law of Moses. And so uh, when when they said all of a sudden they say no, no, no. You're not right with God. You're not in the kingdom of God until you, you're going to have to keep the law of Moses the rest of your life. I mean, basically, just like the, the apostles, uh, the apostle uh, James said in the last section that we read, he said, you're putting a burden on them that you or your fathers have never been able to keep. And so all of a sudden now, instead of the gospel is free and open and it's grace and you've been accepted into the kingdom of God and, and, and God is, you know, pleased with you because of what Jesus did. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, I don't know if I'll ever be good enough to be right with God. I don't know if I'll ever be. I mean, it, it did more than just it was more than just, hey, this is false doctrine. They're teaching. I mean, it burdened them to the point where. Yeah, it's exactly what they did. But can you imagine? I mean, if some, if I, I would never believe that. But if if I believe this, somebody walked in and said, you know, you have to add this law, this law, this law, and this law, and you have to keep them perfectly the rest of your life. You're not. I mean, it would almost be like, what's the point? You know, I'm gonna just go back and do. I'm gonna just go back and be what I was. I mean. Because there's no point. I can't keep it. I can't. I can't do it perfectly. And so, they were. They were troubling their souls. They were subverting their lives. They were. They were distressing their souls. And a lot of times we do that with people. Sometimes we. We. We want to make sure that you know if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to look like me, and you're going to act like me, and you're going to have to be just like me. And we don't remember we talked about that last week where the the gen, he, they told the Gentiles, you know, now you don't have to follow the. You don't have to be Jewish, but you can't be pagan either. You know, you can't go to the temple, the pagan temples, and you can't be taking part in those sacrificial offerings and eating that meat that comes with that and all. You can't be doing that either. Uh, And so... We we it's a it's a we talked about last week about being doing things in love, you know, not offending each other's consciences and all that kind of stuff. And so we do that sometimes, you know, um, 
I'm trying to think of a good example that's not going to get me into a big mud hole. You know, if if I say so-and-so over there got a belly button ring, she must not be a Christian. What have I just done? I just added to the added to the gospel. I mean, do I, am I going to have a belly button ring? Nope. And if I did, you probably wouldn't be able to see it anyway. But, yeah, yeah that was a joke. You can laugh. Loosen up a little. Uh... I can't add. I can't add anything to the gospel. I can't say you have to believe in Jesus and anything. Uh, God is a powerful God. He's a real Savior. He and, and if you're doing something that He decides is not good for you, He He's going to chastise you for it. Uh, he's going to. But I can't impose my conscience on somebody else. See what I mean? I have things that I can't do. You know, I have things that I can't do by just because of my conscience. Uh, we're talking about things that are not forbidden or commanded in Scripture. Now, if you walk around saying, well, my conscience says it's okay for me to cheat on my wife, you know, you're an idiot. So uh, we're not talking about that. We're talking about, we're talking about things that are neither commanded nor forbidden. They were telling the Gentiles here, we're not going to add anything else to the gospel. We're not going to add anything to grace. And so... They're writing this letter. It says uh, they wrote letters uh, for as much as you heard. They were troubling their souls. And then verse 25, this is the letter that they wrote. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. They send some men back with Barnabas and Paul to Antioch. Men that have hazarded their lives. They've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. Why would they send dudes with them? They got the letter. Witnesses. Witnesses. Yeah. Remember the the law in the law of Moses, a, a thing is confirmed by what? Two, <clears throat> two or three witnesses. And so they would they would also they also knew the the how people were. I mean, if Barnabas, okay, there's a there's a controversy going on in Antioch. Barnabas and Paul say, okay, we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to figure this out. They go to Jerusalem. They come back and say, hey, we got a letter that says we was right. What are the people going to say? The, wrote yeah, y'all wrote that. Y'all, that's not from them. So the apostles and the elders, they send Judas and Silas who are have risked their lives for the faith. They're well-known Jerusalem church. And they come back as witnesses. And here, this next line, I want to really, I want you to really think about this. And I want to ask you some questions and you answer. It says... This is what the apostles wrote. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood, from things strangled, from fornication, which if you keep yourselves, you do well, fare you well. What I want to ask you is, we, saw, we talked about all those stipulations last week, so we're not going to go back through that. But how did they know that it was good to the Holy Ghost? How did they know that it was the Holy Ghost's will that they this is what God wants so how'd they know they said it seemed good in verse 25 it says it seemed good to us verse 28 says for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost how did they know that it seemed good to the Holy Ghost they were all in and they're all in accord with this this way. That's true. And that's right. They knew that it was the Holy Ghost's will because it was the will of the church. 
It was the will of the apostles and the elders. When they, when they, now think about this for a minute. We're not told that they received any vision or any divine whatever. We're going to see that in the next chapter. Paul's going to receive a vision about not going into Asia, but going into Macedonia. So uh, I mean, it's, it's possible that it could have happened. So, But it didn't happen in this point. What happened was the church got together. I'm sure they prayed. I'm sure they, you know, they, they got together in the spirit of, of Christ. They got together to decide this. And they decided it together as a, as a body of believers. And that was the will. They were certain, so certain enough that they put it in the letter that it seemed good to the Holy Ghost that this is what needs to happen. We're not going to add anything to grace. We're not going to add any more laws upon you. you. You don't have to be Jewish, but you can't be pagan either. Now, you can't go around, you know, doing the pagan things either. You, you're going, you can be part of the kingdom of God just by trusting in Jesus Christ. And the, the thing that I want you to see is that the Holy Ghost, the, the Holy Spirit of God, he he works in and through the people of God. Uh, there's a uh, passage, and I'm going to say Matthew 18. I probably got that way off. But there's a passage where it's talking about church discipline. And it's talking about if, if somebody sins, there's some manuscripts that say against you. Somebody sins against you, you go to the believer. And then if they don't listen to you, you take somebody with you. And then if they don't listen to them, you bring it before the church. And it says... Uh, and it says right after that, it says, for whatever that whatever that you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And it says, and wherever two or three are gathered in my name, what? I am in the midst, you know, and and, you know, we use that for a lot of different things. And it should be. Uh, there's no I'm not saying that. But the the immediate context of what he's talking about is when two or three are gathered in my name, he said, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to be right there as the church of Jesus Christ is moving along and, and doing these things. I'm going to be I'm going to be right there administering with them. Does that make sense? Now, does that mean that that does that mean that? church bodies can't make any mistakes? No, of course not. It doesn't mean that. But it mean it means that as we gather, the way that we know, the way that we know, the way that the way that we know God uh, I mean, what am I saying? The way that we know God's purpose is that we gather, we gather together and we Biblically and prayerfully and all those things. Once we once we gather together and do these things, then we can be assured that God is in the midst of the decisions that we make. Does that make sense? Does that makes sense. No, it's not. We're not talking about. We're not talking about the. Uh, Perfect, whatever you know. It's, you've heard the stories of church business meetings where people erupting, punching people in the face, and all that kind of stuff. You know, well, we're not talking about that. But what what we do see is that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ in operating in the earth is always going to use His bride. He's always going to use His church. Uh, he's always going to use His people. Always. God is, he's, it's not that he's not able. God's able to do anything. He can call down whatever. But in ministering judgment and salvation, he's always going to use his people preaching and ministering the gospel. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Think about that for a minute. 
He's always going to use His people. He's going to use someone preaching the gospel. He's going to use the ministry of the saints together. He's going to use the fellowship of the assembly together. He's going to... This idea that you can grow spiritually without a, a local fellowship of believers that you are a part of, it's not biblical. I'm sorry. It's not biblical at all. This idea that you can... You know, um, there's a lot of people that don't belong to a church, but they have like a parachurch ministry, you know, like a ministry that does something. Nothing wrong with those. Those are really good, you know, Uh, whatever. But God works through his bride. He works through his church. I can demonstrate it in so many different ways. Um, If you want to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, you cannot grow in... Listen, you cannot grow in Christ, in the fruits of the Spirit, without fellowship with His bride. Impossible. It's impossible. You can't grow in patience, in love, in long-suffering, you know, what is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering. You can't grow in those without... I'm not talking about attendance. I'm talking about fellowship. Because you will never grow in patience until somebody tests your patience. And I'm not talking about just having patience that lost people have out on your job. You know, we have to have patience with a lot of people. I'm talking about having patience with someone who is you are united with in Christ. So having kindness to someone who doesn't really deserve kindness, who have love, joy, peace, all of those things. I guess joy and peace are the only two that... Uh, well, no, even those two, because they they grow through interaction with other people. You're never going to grow in patience unless somebody's testing that patience. You're never going to grow long-suffering, kindness, unless somebody's testing that kindness. And so the apostles understood here that as the church ministers, as the church meets, as the church... Uh, declares things based on what Jesus taught in his word based on you know based on the holy spirit that lives inside them he says it seemed good to us therefore it seemed good to the holy ghost and to us that we will not add anything else to what we've already given you you've got the gospel we're not going to add no works we're not going to add no more keeping the law of Moses and whatever and so not only did they say this is what we think and we're the elders of the church and we're the apostles and so that's what we're going to do they said this is what the Holy Ghost says. This is what the Holy Ghost would have us to teach you. Is there any questions about that? That's a deep subject. There's a lot of... But I also think it's important in what the scripture says about it being one accord. I mean, they 100% agreed on this. It wasn't like two of the elders said this is the way it's going to be and the others just had to follow. Right. They were in... And I think that's really big in fellowshipping and in congregation. It was unanimous. Right. And 100%. Right. 100% of the church was right. Yeah, well, the elders, the elders and the and the apostles, for sure. Yes, they were in 100% agreement. Seemed good to them. Okay, so what happened was they sent this letter and what do you think the what do you think the churches did when they when they read this? You're a Gentile, 
this controversy is going on. You're left out in the open, not understanding what's going to happen, what should I do, whatever. And all of a sudden, the the uh, apostles bring the you know this judgment based on the the scripture. Remember, James quoted the scripture when he made his declaration the last time we were here. Uh, it was based on scripture. It was based on the Holy Ghost. It was based on the elders and the apostles. And they say we're not going to add any more stipulations to the gospel. It's by grace alone, through faith alone. Uh, you don't have to be Jewish, but you can't be pagan either. Uh, and what do you think they did? How do you think they felt? How would you feel? Relieved. Yeah. I'd be definitely relieved. And that's what they were. It says uh, that you abstain. Verse 30 says, so when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. They went back to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read it, they rejoiced. For the consolation, they rejoiced that it had been decided, that it had been decreed, and that they were indeed brethren in the in the kingdom of God. And so now there's peace in the church. They rejoice. There's peace. They you know they get along. You, you read the next couple of verses. It says it says and Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, they exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after that, huh? Strengthened them, built them up. They they come. Uh, where am I at? From thirty three. And after that, they tarried their space. Judas and Silas. Uh, they went. They were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. They went back to Jerusalem. Uh, notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Silas stayed there. Let's turn my page. Paul also Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Okay, so by all that, it just seems like, okay, the controversy's over. The controversy's over. There's peace and harmony in the church, and everything's wonderful, and they all lived happily ever after again. Or happily ever after. I was going to say amen. <laughs> they all live happily ever after. The controversy is settled. They don't have to worry about it no more. Peace reigns in the church, right? No. Right after this, the two missionaries get into a fight with each other. And so what you see in here is, even in the first century church, it's just one controversy after another. It's conflict, doctrinal conflict going on. The church council has to meet to figure this out. They have to send word back. And now that it's solved, Barnabas and Paul are teaching. Now Paul and Barnabas are going to have a conflict. And they're going to have a serious conflict. A lot of people make this out to be, well, they just disagreed a little bit, but they still buds. No, they, it was serious. And so let me just read it, and that's the end of this chapter. It says, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached in the word of the Lord and see how they do. Where do you want to go? He wanted to go back to all those cities, to Iconium and Lystra and Derby, all those cities that we talked about the last two or three weeks. He wanted to go back to those places and check the churches out, to check the brethren out, to make sure they were growing and all those things. This had been about two years since they had been gone. And so he says, let's go back and make sure. You need to understand this, that Paul was not just concerned. He, he was not just concerned with making churches and making converts. He was just as concerned 
concerned with discipleship and growing believers as he was from uh, making believers. He, he didn't want to just go and plant churches in Iconium and Lystra and Derby and all these different cities and then go off, you know, and do something else. He wanted to go back to those churches to build them up, to work with them, to make sure that they were strengthened, make sure that they had everything they needed, make sure they weren't in need of anything. That's something that we don't really consider today. A lot of us don't. We say, you know what, I'm good, I'm saved, it's all good, I ain't going to have to worry about it, whatever. We don't give any heed to discipleship. We don't give any heed to growing. We don't give any, any heed to maturing in Christ at all. We think that just because I'm growing in age, that means I'm maturing in Christ. That is not the case. There's people that have been saved for 30 years that are still little babies in Christ because they've never uh, applied themselves to growing in Christ, to maturing in the fellowship of believers or whatever. Paul was not like that. He said, we need to go back and we need to check on them. We need to strengthen them. We need to encourage them. That's what he's going to say here in a little bit. In their home church. In their own church where they were trying to change what they were taught. So that would spur somebody to say, Let's go back and check. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Preaching and teaching the right thing. Absolutely. I think so as well. And they probably, they had, this was the Jerusalem, there's debate about this, but the Jerusalem Council, I believe, was after the events in, in Galatians 2 where Paul was fighting against the Judaizers that come into Galatia. And so he's wanting to head back to Galatia because he knows that there's there's probably same things going to be happening there as happening everywhere else. You know, ravenous wolves are going to be coming in and teaching false doctrine. So Paul says, let's go back. Let's go back to those cities. Hey, I'm talking about, he, he must have loved these folks. I mean, you remember what happened last time he went to them cities? He's stoned, left for dead, thrown out of every city, run out of every city. I mean, every city. He was run out of every city. He was willing to go back and, and just because he loved them and he wanted to see them grow. He wanted to see them. It's that important to him to have them grow. And so he says... Um, it said, oh, here I am. It says, and Barnabas, Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. You remember John Mark? I told you all about him before. We kind of briefly saw that in Acts 13, what did Mark do? He took all. He hightailed it home. They were just about to cross from uh, Cyprus into the mainland of Galatia, Pamphylia, and uh Mark said, hey, God, I'm going home. I'm going back to Jerusalem. And we're not told why he left. Um, I, I think, this is just me, and I told you all this before, I think that his mama lived in Jerusalem because that was the house Peter came up to where the, he was knocking the servant, wouldn't let him in or whatever. And uh, I think he's mama's boy. He went back home. You know, it's, it's a hard... Look, they got stoned and run out of every city they was in. Mark was like, I'm out. I'm not in for all that. I'm going, I'm going to the house. Take my ball and going home. We're not told that all that's my speculation, so that may or may not be the case. We're not told why Mark left. But Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him this second time. Now, Barnabas was a relative to John Mark. Some say nephew, some say cousin. But uh, he, they were definitely relatives. And so why do you think Barnabas wanted to take this guy? I mean, besides the fact that they could have been relatives. What was Barnabas's personality? He was like a yeah, he was an encourager. He was, he was, his name means son of encouragement, right? In fact, 
it was Barnabas who first took Paul in, wasn't it? The church didn't want nothing to do with Paul. Paul, after he was saved, they were like, I don't care. He ain't coming in my church. You know, he's just kind of faking it so he can get in here and kill us. Remember, Paul was, Saul was trying to kill everybody. And so the church didn't want nothing to do with Saul. And it was Barnabas who saw something in him and said, I'm going to take, I'm going to take him in. I'm going to hear his testimony. And then Barnabas is the one that brought him to Peter. And since those days, Barnabas and Paul were inseparable. I mean, they were missionary journeys together. We're talking about years here. It's easy to read Acts and think like it's just a couple days. But we're talking about years that Barnabas and Saul were together. They were teaching together for years in the Antioch church. They were missionary journeys together. They were sent out together. They were always together, always. Barnabas says, well, we, we need to take John Mark. And Barnabas was a son of encouragement. He was trying to build up Mark. He saw something in Mark that... Uh, Probably the same thing he saw in Paul. And he was right with Paul. And he's going to be right later on with Mark. But Paul said, oh no. Paul thought it not good to take him with them. Because he departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Now, why does Paul... Give me some reasons why Paul would not want to take Mark. Besides the fact that he just abandoned them. You think he was ticked off? Yeah, he was worried about the work. He was worried about, you know, if it gets tough, Mark's just going to bail. We're not taking him. What about that saying about the hey man put his hand to the plow and then look back and he's not worthy? Yeah. You know, I wonder if he wouldn't have that kind of mindset. I'm sure. <laughs> I, to be honest, I can't prove this either, but. I'd be like, heck no, you ain't going. All the hard work's done. Now we're just going back to encourage him. You want to come with us? And oh no, you staying at the house. You know, I I would be one that would have been like, no, he's not. He he don't get to enjoy none of the fruit of the labor that he bailed out on. Oh no, of course not. <laughs> but do you think? I think Paul might have had that mindset though. Paul was a Paul was a very in your face blunt. Well, he felt that loyalty and, and trusted and broken. Yeah. Barnabas just came in and took Paul, you know, like he took all the beatings. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Paul took all, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Paul's the one that took all the beatings. Yeah. Barnabas was like, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> so was this the area that um, they were going back to that Mark failed on? Yeah. Okay, so I, okay. So I Same, they were going back. Uh, Paul, Paul and Barnabas went from Cyprus then this is Mediterranean Cyprus is in the middle they left Antioch went to Cyprus and then went up into the region of Pamphylia Galatia it's, uh, they went to Iconium and Lystra and Derby and all these cities and right here between Cyprus and Iconium Mark said I'm heading to the house I'm going to Jerusalem see y'all so this was that next area that, that this was the same area they, they were visiting it the second time and Barnabas was like well let's take Mark and Paul was like Mark bailed on us the last time we went here and uh, yeah, to answer your question, I th- I can't prove this, and I would never I would never I would never try to defend it. But I can see Paul just being no, he's not going because he doesn't deserve to go. You know, I mean, I can see that because Paul was an in-your-face guy. He was a he was a very stern. If you read the book of Galatians, it's real choppy. It's real. I mean, he would say stuff that would offend you. I mean, Paul would say if you like uh, 
Well, one of the things where it says, if, uh, it says all the things that were a credit to me, I count as dung, right? Now, the word dung is not offensive, but the word scubula is the, the Greek word. That's offensive word. That's like me walking up in here and saying, you know, I'm going to count it as, you know what I'm saying? It was offensive. Paul was like very offensive when he, when he spoke. He was, he was, uh, when he said in Galatians, oh, you talked about this when they were saying you had to add circumcision. Paul was like, at one point in Galatians, he says, why don't they just let the knife slip? You know, I I wish they'd just emasculate themselves. I wish they'd just, you know, go and finish the job. He was very, very offensive, very in your face. He was not afraid to preach. He was not afraid to get red face and just tell you how it is. And I can see him. I think he was wrong. But I can see him just going, no, no, there ain't no way. No, he bailed. You just stay home with mama, Mark. Go on back to Jerusalem to your mama's house. We're going to go. Maybe that's why he got stoned in every... Every city he went to. Maybe so. But now he was he was a preacher though. He was he was he was uh he was not offensive just for the sake of being offensive. He was offensive with the truth. You, you guys are wrong. You know what I mean? He was just he was offensive with the truth. And when someone came, the reason Galatians, I mentioned that, the reason it was so offensive, because he loved the Galatians. I mean, he loved them, and there were people in there coming to say to mess up their doctrine, to mess up the truth, mess up the gospel. And he would stand, and he was a little bitty dude. You know, history history tells us that he's like a little bitty dude, bow legged, ball headed little guy. And so, but he was so fierceful, so forceful when it comes to false doctrine, when it comes to people making profit on other people or whatever. Uh, I can see him just saying, no, Mark ain't going. But this caused a dispute between the missionaries. They just got done resolving the dispute in the church. And then the very next thing is a dispute happens among the missionaries. It says... It says, but Paul thought it not good to take him. And verse 19 says, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended from the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. It got so heated, so sharp of a disagreement that they they left each other. They split. Now, this is not a big deal until you realize that Paul and Barnabas have been together for a long time. They'd done everything. They'd preached together, taught together in Antioch, missionary journeys. They find they split up because Barnabas won't take Mark and Paul didn't want to take him. It was such a disagreement that they they divided from each other and they split the work. You know, the work was remember, they went to Cyprus, then up into those cities. Well, Paul says or Barnabas says, you know, Barnabas, you just go on to Cyprus and do your thing. I'm going to take I'm going to take Silas and we'll go up here to those cities. They split from each other. They split the work and and they and they just divided. I mean, the contention was so sharp. That they just said, you go your way, I'm going to go my way. And you just see in the midst of this that even here, even here in first century church, you got contention going on in the churches. You got controversy and false doctrine. You got personality clashes going on. You know, this idea that the first century church was just perfect and we sure need to get back. No, they were just as imperfect as we are. They were, just, they were just as imperfect as we. And to be honest, I think Paul was wrong in not 
taking Mark. And the reason that I think that is because he reverses his decision later on in life. Um, if you'll read, let's just, we know from 1 Corinthians 9, 6 that Paul and Barnabas reunited and consoled everything. But if, turn with me to 2 Timothy 4, 11. Just real quick and we'll be done. 2 Timothy 4, this is, 2 Timothy was Paul's last letter. He was dying, he was going to die. He was in jail uh, for the testimony. He was waiting to see Caesar. He'd be executed, at, at, you know, shortly after. Uh, and this was his last word. He said, told Timothy in this, in this uh, uh, chapter, he said, I'm about, to be, I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. Look at what he says in verse 11. He's telling Timothy, he says, uh, He's talking about people that had left him. He said, only Luke is with me. He says, he's, when he's telling Timothy to come to him, he says, take Mark and bring him with thee. He was talking about coming and seeing him. For he is profitable to me for ministry. You see that? There was a time at the end of Paul's life where he realized, hey, Mark, Mark is profitable to me for ministry. And so I think Paul, you know, over the years, he... You know, we find out later that Mark, John Mark became an assistant to Peter. Uh, you can read that in 1 Peter 5, 13, I think. And John Mark was the author of the Gospel of Mark. And so this guy who bailed out on the mission later turned out to be one of a person that God used mightily in, in the faith for all kinds of different things. He was one that was useful to Paul for ministry. He was one that was uh, an associate of Peter that helped him on his journeys. And he was the author of the Gospel of Mark, which was Peter's version of the Gospel. And so this guy who bailed on him, who Paul was ready to write off for whatever reason, I mean, he might have just, it might have been just all good. And Paul said, you know what? We can't risk it. The work is too important to have somebody that may or may not bail on us. It might have been all fine. And, you know, just Paul was doing it for the mission's sake. But this guy that Paul refused to take ended up being a very, uh, a very used man of God. And Barnabas saw it. Barnabas saw it. He was a son of encouragement. He saw it. And he said, you know Mark is Mark deserves another chance. He deserves another shot. He deserves to come with us and go to this missionary journey. But even final word and we're done. Even in the disagreement, God used it for good. How do you use it for good? Paul and Barnabas' disagreement. Yeah, twice territory. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of one missionary band now. Now you got two that are going off. And we're going to see the rest of chapter 16. Paul Silas are going to meet this new man in Lystra. His name's Timothy. And we're going to see them. They're going to hook up with him in Lystra. And after that, they're going to go not just to, after they get done encouraging and strengthening the churches they already been to, they're going to go further out. And, and evangelize new peoples. And we're going to see that in chapter 16. Did Barnabas and Mark just go to Cyprus? Mm-hmm. Well, we're not told. From this point on, the rest of Acts is just focused on Paul. So I'm sure Barnabas and, and Mark, later we know Mark hooked up with Peter and traveled. And the gospel of Mark is 
Gospel of Mark is Peter's version, so to speak. You know, all the all the writings of the New Testament were either written by apostles or attendants of apostles. And Luke was with Paul. That's why we have Luke Acts. And Mark was with Peter, and that's why we have the Gospel of Mark. Does that make sense? So, from the, from here on out, all we're talking about is Paul in the Book of Acts. Uh, he follows him, and Luke actually joins. I think it's in Acts chapter sixteen. We're going to see it next week. Uh, maybe 10. Yeah, if you look at a 16, like verse 4, 5, just for example, it says, And as they went through cities, they delivered the decrees for them to kept ordained apostles. But if you look down in verse 10, it says, And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored. It changes right there from they to we. And so that's where, the, at that point, somewhere in that point, Luke joins the band. And he starts, from then on out, it's we went to this island, we went to that. Uh, and so Luke Luke is actually with them, writing as an eyewitness, you know, f- f- from here on out. Any other questions? So what we learned, what we learned, what you need to take away is that the Holy Spirit is working in His church always, even when there's controversy, even when there's there's dispute, even when it gets so bad that the missionaries say, "You know what? We just gonna split off from each other. We can't we can't reconcile this." Uh, the Holy Spirit is active, working, moving all the time. He works all things for good to those who love God and those who are called in gorgeous purpose. And the second thing that we learned that I take from the chapter is that even if there was a time where I said, you know what, I'm taking my ball and going home, that doesn't necessarily mean that I can't be used by God. And so when somebody else does that, when I feel left high and dry by somebody else, I need to be Barnabas and not Paul. I need to be Barnabas and say, you know what, I'm going to give him another shot because he's profitable to me for ministry. Um, and so those are those are two or three lessons that we take away from this. Is there any questions, comments? No matter, I mean, you might be you might be a mark that said, you know what, I I'm done, and you might have sat down a while, but that doesn't mean you have to stay there. Doesn't doesn't mean you can't be used of God. Okay. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for this day and your lesson. We we ask that you would be with us as we read uh, Acts chapter 16. is such a powerful chapter, Father. Just be with us as we study it for next week, and we uh, we pray that you would uh, that you would just open our hearts to it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.